0: Hi, my name is Lila, and I'm really um, delighted to be here this morning. So I'm excited to be um, preaching in the book of James, and I'm going to start with a few stories about myself. So when I was in the second grade, my teacher wrote on my report card, Lila is a good student, but she talks too much in class. And I don't remember getting this report card, but I have been reminded of it throughout my life because it's true. It still is true. As a talker, I've also learned the gift and curse of running my mouth. I have sort of a reputation among my friends of like scoring the deal or the discount or the freebie. And often it's because I just try to be winsome and ask. Uh, On the flip side, I recently, a coworker gave me some feedback and she was just trying to help me understand that out of my eagerness to help and connect, I would sometimes make promises I didn't or couldn't or even didn't intend to keep. And um, it was hard to hear. I wasn't doing it maliciously. It was just this unrealistic awareness of my capacity. And it was, it was really helpful. Um, it's helped me slow down with my coworker and really take our conversations um, more deliberately and make commitments more deliberately. So it was helpful to hear. I think back to a time when I was in college, I had just come to faith. I was eager in my um, learning about and following Jesus. And I quickly became aware that my friends, my new friends who are Christians, spoke differently than me. And so I worked really hard on cleaning up my language. And it wasn't easy. I kind of, it still isn't. I feel like um, you can swap about 80%. You can, like, do some creative swapping with about 80% of your language, but there's still, like, a 10% that kind of lives in you and comes out when you're mad or scared, right? Maybe that's just me. Um, but have you ever just wanted to be better? Like, be more kind or more gentle or more calm or more clean language? Um, I wish I could have told my younger self, like, give it time. It will come. For now, just spend time with Jesus. I was putting so much focus on, like, my external facing self that I didn't realize it was as if there was, like, this iceberg. And my language was just, like, part of the tip of the iceberg, but actually what was underneath was, like, hurt, jealousy, sadness, resentment. In addition to just like this experience as a kid of feeling undermined or not being able to own my feelings, with like a nice little touch of rebellion in there, right? And so there's this iceberg that's kind of fueling what comes out. But actually, it was the—it was what's underneath the surface is like where Jesus wanted to do a transformative thing in me. So whether you're a talker or whether you're a quiet soul or somewhere in between, I think we can all agree that our words matter. The things we say, the things we don't, they have impact and they, they, even if we don't like do it, like they have impact regardless of our intent. Words give us an opportunity to express ourselves. They give us an opportunity to connect with others. We can use words to, um, to be creative and cultivate creativity or to crush someone's spirit. Words can do a lot of things, but what if our words, what if the things we say or the things we don't are also a litmus for how well we are loving God and loving others? James has something to say about this. As we continue to go through the book of James in this Now What series, today we're going to unpack chapter 3. And James continues this theme in chapter 3 of living out of our faith with integrity at the most practical of levels, like how we follow God, how we treat other people, and today, how we speak, and the ways in which our words reveal who we are and what we value. So let me start us um, in James chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect and able to keep their whole body in check. Okay, James starts us off strong. He starts with this corrective, like, do not strive to teach. This is actually a continuation of chapter 1 and two's exhortation This challenge to live lives of congruency, that our words, our actions, and our values are in alignment with this God that we follow. Chapter three is an emphasis on the importance of being transformed. Do not strive to teach. Strive to be transformed. Who you are becoming is more important than the leadership roles that you take. James continues with a few analogies, and I love analogies. Okay, they're like my love language. these—they are these pictures that are painted to help us understand the, another thing. So he starts with a few analogies. When we put bits into the mouths of horses or make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, They are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself is set on fire hell. Okay, let's unpack that. The first analogy we get is this, the the bit in the horse, the mouth of a horse. So a bit is like this metal and leather thing that goes around the mouth of a horse and it enables the rider through the straps to communicate with and guide the horse. So James is saying like look at this ability for this very small bit in the mouth of a horse to turn and guide the whole animal. And he moves on to a ship. He says, look at a ship. It's huge. It's majestic. It's driven by the wind, yet it is this small rudder at the back of the ship that a pilot can steer it and make it go where it wants to go. James fills out the analogy and explains that the tongue is a small part of our body, And it makes great boasts. So this is like a not a common, we don't like, hey, making great boasts today. Like it's not a common term we use. And so I wanted to understand that a little bit more because like what does that mean? And the original Greek for make great boasts is actually this word. I'm not going to say it right. It's megalakou, megalakou. And it means to talk big, extravagant, pompous, arrogant, It's like talking a big game. So here is our tongue, it talks a big game. And James is painting these pictures and he says, here are these very big things, a horse, a ship, and they're controlled by a very small thing, a bit, a rudder. And he's making the connection that likewise, our bodies, our whole selves, like who we are in our entirety, are a deeply affected by this small, powerful instrument in our mouths that make big claims on our, on our behalf. And he ends with, consider one more image. He says, think about a forest fire, a forest. Like, I feel like that touches a little close to home for us. Think about a fire, like the landscape of a forest and how one small spark can have devastating impact. So is the Tongue so as is the tongue, a small instrument with the potential for great and devastating impact. He continues in verse 7, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, are being tamed and have been tamed by humankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Okay, have you ever said anything where you just instantly regretted, like the word came out of your mouth and you thought like, why did I say that? And you just, you could feel the immediate impact of it. And you could feel that it caused pain. Maybe it fractured a relationship. And um, maybe you even like mulled over it for days or weeks or years. You're just like, why did I ever say that thing? Like, we know that words can hurt. Words have, like, words are powerful, And no, he says, no human being can tame the tongue. James is going to great lengths to try and help us understand just how powerful our words can be. It's as if he's letting kind of this unspoken question hang in the air. If our tongues are a small yet powerful instrument with potential for great harm, then what or who is guiding that instrument for you? And here's where the rubber meets the road. In verse nine, he says, It's like conviction. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come, t- come praise and cursing. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James is speaking to followers in a time where cultural and ethnic tensions were rising along with Jewish nationalism and and violence. Like things are kind of building up to a head that lead to an eventual war in 66 AD. So like things are tense. And while these followers of Jesus might honor this boundary of like, "Ah, I would never, you know, cause violence to another person, James is saying, actually, your words are doing that. James is calling out the violent rhetoric in them that incites such kind of violent, like, perspectives towards the other. Now... (laughs) While the reasons for the tensions in James's time might be different than today, we don't actually have to look far or wide in our um, culture or even in our churches to find similar insta- instances of just violent rhetoric that disparage the image of God in the other. We, we have this capacity to like, make the other our like the other side of whatever issue we think of as like the enemy. And um, we other people who are made in God's image, people who are created with inherent value and are worthy of dignity. You know the phrase, like, do you kiss your mother with that mouth? I feel like James is saying, like, do you worship God with that mouth? How can it be that in one breath you're worshiping God, and then in another you write off those who are made in God's image? These two things he's saying cannot coexist in us. A spring is either fresh water or salt water. A tree is either a fig tree or an olive tree. So like if we are worshiping God in one breath and writing people who are made in God's image off in another, then one of those is authentic, and one of those isn't. It's not okay for me to post on Instagram or come to church and praise God or even preach a sermon about God's mercy, love, and grace, and then not extend that mercy, love, and grace to others. Especially those I'm least inclined to treat with inherent worthiness or dignity. How are you treating others? How are you loving those on the margins in your community? not just in this community but in our city in on the other side of the tracks like who are you most inclined to write off and what's happening underneath that iceberg of yours we live in a time where we have many platforms to express ourselves like 24/7 we can both share what we think and feel and hear other people's thoughts And we can find community and solace with those who agree with us and sometimes only with those who agree with us. I think James here wants us to hear, wants us to know that God desires and requires integrity in our worship and practice of faith. He paints this final picture in, um, in the end of chapter three. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But... The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and insincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Who are you becoming as you follow Jesus? What comes from our mouth is a reflection of what is in our hearts, And I feel like here James is saying, like, don't skip these steps of transformations. Like, don't try to jump and become a teacher without going through these steps that God wants to do in you, like this work of transformation that we get to experience by being with Christ. And he's saying, don't become a teacher who passes along wisdom they themselves have never experienced. Words matter, but who you are becoming matters more. I love this quote, one of the most loving uh, God—this is a quote by Pete Scazzaro. He's actually the author of the Emotionally Healthy Relationships, um, like, course that we're taking right now, which I'm (laughs) loving— And um, this was in his day-by-day Day book and in the very beginning, and he just framed it well, I think, about how we use our words. He says, one of the most loving, God-glorifying things we can do in our relationships is to speak in healthy, loving ways. In fact, part of the reason God gives us the gift of words is to express ourselves and to nurture life-giving relationships. I have, like, I struggle with, like, back pain, neck pain, I don't know, all sorts of things, and I started going to a chiropractor a few years ago, and I go to this chiropractor, every time I walk in, I have to, like, fill out this chart, and I have to, like, I have to kind of take stock and think, where do I feel pain in my body, and I have to mark, like, every nook and cranny of where there's pain, like, this little body chart, and then I have to say, like, what type of pain, is it, like, throbbing, dull, sharp, and then how often do I experience the pain and how severe the pain is, right? It's like this very intense kind of gut check of like, how am I doing every time I walk in? And um, I feel like James chapter 3 is like that chart. James chapter 3 helps us assess the health of our hearts. Where are we experiencing bitterness, envy, discord in our lives? Where are we pursuing selfish ambitions or using people or dismissing them or using, putting our worth in our achievements? Slowing down helps us assess and examine where is their health and where is there a continued need to invite God to do this work of transformation in us. And I just, during worship, was even just thinking like, yes, I want to be the person who believes with my whole heart. Like I think of the phrase, like, I believe help my unbelief. And I think I want to be a type of person that um, can be unfettered with my belief and worship. And also I recognize, like, God knows the underneath of my iceberg. Like God knows what's going on there and what needs healing and what needs addressing and is waiting to see, like, am I going to invite that work of transformation um over the past year and a half, there have been so many layers of like, oh, just discomfort and pain and loss and grief. And it's been layered. It's like the COVID and pandemic and then all the stuff that goes with it, racial reckoning in our culture, and even just the political kind of chaos that's that's going on. And I love my parents deeply. They like matter so much to me. And yet one of the relationships in my life that I experienced the like quite a bit of tension, Um, especially this past year, navigating all these layers is with them. And throughout the year, as we'd like kind of talk about the different things happening in, uh, you know, with COVID or in our society or um, in our culture, I would just get so frustrated with them and so angry. And I would just like, I just would lash out and we would lash out at each other. Like, we were very much a, like, loud and hash it out kind of family. Um, and I love that about uh, that. But, but it was getting to the point where we were starting to, like, write each other off. And we were no longer seeking to understand or really care, but we were, we were just, like, struggling to love each other. And um, I was thinking recently that of this book, Brene, I mean, I've thought of this since I read it a few years ago. Brene Brown wrote this book called Braving the Wilderness, and it's got a subtitle like The Quest for True Belonging and the Courage to Stand Alone. It's a good book. I highly recommend it. And in it, she has a chapter titled, People Are Hard to Hate Close Up, So Move In. And I just feel like that has stayed with me. (laughs) I read it a few years ago, but as I look back at the year, last year and a half, I am filled with regret. I am sad that I didn't seek to move in a little closer to my family. Now, strangers on the internet, I have no problem. Like, we're, we have differences. Let's, we, you know, I don't know you. But like, friends, families, neighbors, my parents, people, I mean, they're in their 70s. And I missed out on a year and a half with them, and I, I recently went um, to go visit them this month, and um, we hadn't seen each other since February of 2020, and I became more aware of just like, wow, how much limited our time is and how precious it is, and we've been going through this emotionally healthy relationships, I highly recommend, and it has Um, helped me think more intentionally about what has shaped my family. Like, I've been thinking about what what are the experiences and the hopes and the dashed dreams that my parents carry? What are the stories that live inside of them that have never been realized? And I I went on this trip um, way more, like, desiring that curiosity, wanting to actually connect, moving closer, get to know their their stories and their hearts, and around a table, we sat around, and and my brother and I just asked questions. He, he even like recorded it. I thought like, ah, oh, genius. Um, we slowed down, and we um, we heard stories that were um, like we just hadn't heard before. We heard about their upbringings. We heard about like things that like like real big losses that they experienced as kids. I only know them as my mom and dad. It's like hard to know them beyond, you know, like it's like when you see your teacher at the supermarket, you're like, what, you're a person? You know, and so I think there's something about slowing down and moving in a little closer, seeking to really understand that helped me see them as a whole person and actually to see them even as people with their own icebergs. Like I experienced this part of them, but there's this whole part of them that's under the surface that I only know an, a, a small portion of. And I agree. I think it's hard to hate people close up. So I want to I close our time and move us into just a time for us to take stock, for us to do that kind of gut check, you know, and, and evaluate, like, how are you doing? How are your words reflecting who you are and what you value? Um, if you were to think of your past week, like, did your words or interactions reflect who you are, who you seek to be? Did you um, take time to encourage someone? Did you speak about the grace, love and peace, mercy that we experienced for, in God in your life? Or did maybe you like held your tongue and you didn't say something? <laughs> um, or did you write someone off? Did you gossip or lash out at someone? Maybe even someone you love. Did you judge rather than be curious and ask questions? When when we build up or tear someone down, what does that say about us? This week, actually this year, one of the, like, um, growing tensions I've experienced in our home is, like, my four-year-old's bedtime routine. <laughs> it sounds silly, but, like, this thing has become, like, a monolith. It's, like, 90 minutes long, and it has a lot of, like, you know... Books and songs, and then like bathroom breaks, and then multiple tuck ins, and multiple, like, okay, good night, okay, good night, last one, you know. And I just have been like, my other son gets up so early, and so this time when my kids are asleep is like, feels like the only time we get, my husband and I get for like us. And so I've just, his, the summer has made days, you know, the, the daylight longer, and, um, it's summer, they sleep in longer, and so now this, like, time at night that we're used to getting is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, and I'm getting so frustrated, and the other night, I realized, like, well, my, my four-year-old came out because he was on another bathroom break, and, um, and he came out of the bathroom, and he said, mom, can you just speak more kindly to me? I mean, I, it, that's like Holy Spirit conviction right there. I, I just, it made me realize like, my son is four. I love him with my whole heart. I want to be a person of peace and safety for him. And here I am making him feel bad for going to the bathroom. I mean, I think he wants to read a book in there, but you know, or like bad that he wants an extra snuggle at night. Now, those frustrations are real, and I think we really do need to tune up our schedule a little bit, but so is the impact of my choice to take, take it out on my kids. So I want to leave us with some space before we move into the time of ministry and give us a chance to reflect and, and, and invite you to consider, like, how might God be inviting you in this area in your life. And I want to end with this quote I heard recently. Shauna Nyquist is like an author. She's a believer. She's, an au- she's a Christian, and she's an author. Bunch of best-selling books. And she talked about how like that fame of writing a bunch of best-selling books kind of messed with her. And now she's kind of pulled back, and she just, she said, um, I want to be a person who pursues a smaller life marked by delight. And I loved that phrase, like a smaller life marked by delight. And I want to end with just a little tweak of her phrase to leave with you. What would it look like for us? Like how can we invite God to help us pursue a slower life so that our words are marked by delight? So let's take some time to reflect, and then Ryan will be up to invite us into some prayer ministry.